We are going to finish our series called Gifts That Keep On Giving. We've been talking about spiritual gifts, and we've been dealing with a whole bunch of different things along the line of spiritual gifts. We talked about who spiritual gifts are for and why, you know, spiritual gifts are for the common good and God gives us spiritual gifts so that we can play our part in His plan. Uh, we talked about just different lists from the scriptures of spiritual gifts. We talked about developing your spiritual gifts. Last week we talked about the greatest gift that's ever been given, which is that the Father so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then this week we are going to jump in to talking about vocal gifts. We're going to talk about tongues and interpretation, prophetic words in a church service, all that sort of a thing. So the title of the message is Vocal Gifts, Supernatural Glory or Goofy and Misguided. Because this can be a little awkward to talk about. You know what I mean? There's the totally on board, there's the totally not on board, and then there's a whole bunch of people in between. And so we need to talk about what does the scripture say with regards to vocal gifts? How do we understand this? How do we go forward the right way? And it's just very, very important. So we're going to be looking at... 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there's a whole lot of stuff about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, very important section of scripture, but before we go to that, we must look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because chapter 13 is before chapter 14, and it really sets the stage for how to understand chapter 14. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is a lot about spiritual gifts, and it's one body, many parts. We all belong to each other. When it's all working, we rejoice together. When one part is suffering, we all suffer together. And it's very important, that concept in chapter 12 of all these different types of people working together for the cause of Christ. Then chapter 13 is the love chapter, and chapter 14 is the application to church. How do we do this in church? So chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is between the theory of spiritual gifts and the practical application of spiritual gifts. And so the concept that chapter 13 is all about, this love chapter, is love each other in the midst of your differences when it comes down to church tensions because of spiritual gifts. That's what chapter 13 is about. It's not something that we, you know, was designed for weddings and that sort of thing. If you read it at a wedding, that's fine. You know, it's love. Love is good. But the concept of chapter 13 is we must have the right emotional content when we're talking about spiritual gifts. If we have the wrong emotional content, we're in danger. So let's read, starting in chapter 12, verse 31, let's read this love chapter, a short chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. I didn't get very far before I stopped that one, did I? So the way is what believers called Christianity before it was termed Christianity. So it was the way. And Paul, the apostle Paul, referred to the faith as the way. And here, I don't think it's just accidental that he uses this terminology. And now I will show you the most excellent way. This is the way, just the essence of what it means to follow God. And that is the way of love. 
Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. How important is love? Surrender your body to the flames? You'd think that would count for something. But if you're doing it just out of belligerence and pride, well, it says here you gain nothing. So love is essential. Love is key. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Wouldn't it be something if that was the essence of all congregational dynamics? That when people think about going to church, they think, yeah, man, that's where people love each other, where they keep no record of wrongs, where this is just the beauty of human relationship under Christ, people encouraging and strengthening each other. Wouldn't that be something? This is a high calling and a very beautiful thing. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So the greatest of these three, faith, hope, and love, the greatest is not faith. The greatest is not hope. The greatest is love. And this means loving other people, caring about and putting other people first. The greatest between faith and Hope and love is love. Isn't that amazing? Love is essential, very important, super, super powerful. And again, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, especially if we're talking about prophetic words, tongues and interpretation, these sorts of things, it's way too easy to have the wrong emotional content in the discussion. And we don't want to be those people who are just mad about something and have something to say because they're upset. That's not good. If we have the wrong emotional content, it's going to derail the discussion. So we want to look at these things with love in mind, loving one another. Now, an important point I should make is some people say that supernatural gifts were only for the apostolic age, only like way back when. In the Assemblies of God, and of course me personally, I believe that things have continued because I've seen those things. And so if you want to tell me it doesn't happen anymore, you got to me too late because uh, I've already seen it. But let's just take a quick look at 1 Corinthians thirteen eight through 10 again, because this is basically what people bring that argument 
forth from is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the second part, and says, you know, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. So saying there's going to be, there's going to be prophecies, but then prophecies will stop. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. So there's tongues, but then tongues won't happen. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So where we know stuff and other people don't, then that's going to go away. Has knowledge passed away? It really hasn't. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And so the question is, when does perfection come? If perfection has already come, then these part things are gone. But if perfection hasn't come, then we're still in an imperfect world and we're still in that age of these things being part of reality. And I would say that perfection hasn't come yet. Would you agree that the world is not perfect? I believe this is talking about when Christ returns and straightens it all out, that's when perfection comes. Now we see dimly as through a mirror. Then we will see face to face because Jesus will show back up and he'll straighten this whole thing out. And then we won't have knowledge like we have now. We'll, we'll understand it all. It won't be that one person knows something that another person doesn't. Knowledge will pass away. The idea of knowing more than someone else is going to fade. It's not part of that new order of things. And so there's not going to be any need for prophetic words either or tongues and interpretation. Tongues and interpretation is basically prophecy anyway. So what what would we need that for? But I believe this is talking about when Jesus returns. And so we live today in the day of miracles. We live in the New Testament era. It's not a new New Testament. We're not in the post-New Testament. We're in the New Testament era. That's my conviction. I'm firmly convinced of it. Again, you got to me too late if you want to tell me miracles don't happen or prophetic words and tongues and interpretation aren't real. I've just been there. I don't want to state this too strongly, but I believe that for some people, just the supernatural gifts kind of weird them out. And so they kind of write it off theologically like, yeah, that's just weird stuff. And they just set it to the side. If you don't like something, it's nice to just erase it, but it's in the Bible It's in the most recent parts of the Bible, and there's nothing in there that says that there's going to be a a whole new era of not having these things before Jesus returns. So, to be fair, I do want to say that I didn't always believe in things like speaking in tongues. In fact, if you ever wonder if I'm exaggerating when I talk about this, find my wife and ask her, because I tell people that I was a very judgmental, not judgmental to non-Christian people, but judgmental to Christian people, very judgmental of the church and especially church leadership. Because when I got saved, I got saved from a very non-Christian background. And when I found out that God was real through a miraculous intervention of God in my life, I just thought, you people have God and this is what you've done with him? You squabble and fight and you are an embarrassment to God. You've taken the Alpha and the Omega and made him a cartoon character. You buy your actions. You make Jesus out to be a fool. What's wrong with you? And I got very, very angry. Would you agree that the church has done a poor job of representing Christ in the world? If we are the hands and feet of Jesus, then there are a lot of people that don't like Jesus because the hands and feet haven't treated them right. And I thought, okay, my people are going to hell because Christian people are are fools. And I got very, very angry. 
for seven years, not for a weekend, not for a year, my anger grew and built and got deeper. The greater I saw the hypocrisy and the foolishness of the church, I got angrier and angrier. And you don't need to tell a 20-year-old male to get angry. They come angry. And so I just had something to focus it on. And I was, I was mad. And I was really, 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 really angry. I'm not over-exaggerating that. I was about as angry as a person could get. And then... I went to a big conference and they had a time where they're going to clap for all the pastors and the people that are serving in ministry. And I thought, it's their fault. I'm not clapping for them. But it was like 65,000 people there. I wasn't like I could sneak out and go somewhere else. So I just thought, oh, I'm just going to wait this out. And they had people stand up who were in ministry and everybody's, you know, cheering for them and that sort of thing. And, and when they stood up, something strange happened to me. So I had this highly demonized view of people in church leadership, especially pastors, preachers, people who were steering the ship, highly demonized view of these people. And I saw them stand up and just something struck me like, these are just normal people. You know, like I saw that guy in a hot dog line and passed that guy and his kid in the hallway and they were laughing and talking. They just seemed like normal people. I didn't realize these are monsters that are steering the ship into the rocks. I'm having a little God moment there. And I realized these are just people doing the best they can with what they got. And what am I doing? You know, I'm just whining. I'm just being angry. And what is, what is that accomplishing? And so I had this double experience of seeing these people in a different way. And then a personal conviction of I'm the problem. You know, like I'm the one who's upset here. I'm the one who's angry. I'm the one who's got the bad attitude. And it was like in my chest, it was like there was a cold bucket of water. And all of a sudden the bottom fell out and the water I could feel in my chest just whoosh, just rush out. And I'm standing up. I don't know how I stood up, but everybody was standing up at this time. And then just this love for the broken church hit me. I mean, I believe it's just the love of God for his messed up people. And that love hit me and it was so deep and profound. It just about knocked me over and I just was going to start saying something like, wow, that is amazing. And when I went to say, wow, that is amazing, some other words came out that I didn't recognize. And I thought, what was that? And so I just sat back down. I'm like, what is going on here, man? You know. So that's the first time I spoke in tongues. And it was a heart transplant. It was a baptism in the Holy Spirit experience where I was just overwhelmed by the Spirit of God and the love of God hit me and it changed my life. My heart is different now. And that was 23 years ago. And my heart is still changed. It hasn't reverted back. And sometimes I get frustrated, but it's it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what it was like back then. But this is something that for me is very, very important because I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be able to do this. I just would be a reclusive, lonely, angry person if it wasn't for the intervention of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I don't want anybody to miss the power of God to change their life, even for the believer. So I'd been a believer for seven years when this happened. And it was a life-changing experience. So take it from someone who's been on both sides. This is good stuff, all right? This is good stuff. 
So let's talk about the terms prophecy, tongues, and interpretation, just to uh, clarify here. So prophecy is just hearing from God and telling other people. That's about as simple as you can put that. I believe when we pray, God hears us. And when we pray, if we get quiet for a little bit, we can hear from God. And it's very important to hear from God. And prophecy is just hearing from God and then sharing it with somebody. It's really not any more complicated than that. So, you know, you might be praying and you think so-and-so needs to know this. And then you just tell them. In the old days, it used to be, thus saith the Lord, you know, and you'd take this posture. That's turned out to be maybe not best practice because sometimes you're wrong. And then thus saith the Lord, and they're like, the Lord's wrong, you know, and that just, it just doesn't go well. So it's much healthier and, and better to say, you know what, I just feel like the Lord showed me this. Does that make sense to you? And they can either take it or leave it. They're going to take it or leave it anyway, but there'd just be less relational damage if you do it this way. You know, that can happen one-on-one. It can also happen in a group setting. You know, sometimes we'll have a prophetic word in a church service, and that's just somebody sharing what God put on their heart. And they, they feel like this is something for somebody because, you know, if you come into a meeting and you hear something that's just for you, and you're going to think, man, God's doing something. God cares about me, you know. And, and it's a very important part of walking in the Spirit is prophecy. Then tongues and interpretation. In a church service, sometimes somebody will speak in tongues and then somebody will interpret it. And that basically is prophecy, but split into two different parts. Tongues and interpretation. Then there's another thing of tongues, which is different from that, which is basically like a prayer language where we're praying between us and God and it's not meant to be interpreted. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You know, he talks about interpretation, but this isn't something that people are going to understand. You shouldn't get your foreign languages book out and try to figure out what language this is, you know, and that sort of thing. It's just a a prayer language between you and God and other people aren't supposed to try to interpret it. It's just part of your experience in prayer and worship and connecting with God. So there's those basic three things, prophecy, hearing from God and saying what you heard, tongues and interpretation as prophecy in a church service, and then just tongues as a personal prayer language, personal thing between you and God. So that's basically what we're talking about. Let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Got all kinds of stuff to cover, so let's uh, hit this quick. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. We'll read 1 through 5. Follow the way of love. So are we supposed to follow the way of love? That's all chapter 13, love one another. Again, it's the way, the most excellent way. Started, uh, you know, the last verse of chapter 12. He uses the way again in chapter 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So here the apostle Paul is saying, look, please try to prophesy. Verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. So here's what was going on in Corinth. Just kind of reading between the lines. Pastor Ted from Grace said the greatest thing in our prayer meeting last week. He said, you know, that stuff comes from the white spots in the Bible, not the black stuff. (laughs) Like, that's beautiful. You know, like you don't want to be reading from the white part. You want to be reading from the black part and the red part, you know. 
But what was going on in the Corinthian church that the Apostle Paul would be talking to him about this? I believe what was going on, it seems fairly obvious from chapter 14, is that a whole bunch of people are speaking in tongues and really all at the same time, and it's just kind of a mayhem situation. You know, like a whole bunch of people speaking in tongues all at the same time. That seems to be what was going on, and very loudly. I would assume loudly. How many people have walked into a church where a whole bunch of people are speaking in tongues very loudly? That can be super fun, but have you ever invited a unbeliever into a situation like that? You just think, oh man, I hope nothing really crazy happens. In the 90s, I went to a church. It was fantastic. It's where I grew up as a, as a believer. But I mean, we would invite people over to church and we'd warn them. You're like, okay, you're going to see some stuff you've never seen in your life. I mean, there was always people on the floor and people running around. Sometimes they're running around the outside of the building. You know, I mean, it's just, it was on when we had church. And I really liked it, you know, because I've never felt threatened by somebody else's goofiness. You know, some people, they just get all worried because somebody over there is being goofy. Like, I thought, well, that's them. Why, why does that bother me? It doesn't bother me. So I've always felt kind of spiritually secure in those environments so I can evaluate it. And, and you know, sometimes there's goofiness and sometimes it's just, absolutely God. And so we don't want to be too afraid. But in the Corinthian church, apparently it was just, it was just mayhem. It's apparently what was going on. It was something that'd be very difficult to invite someone to. So Paul is saying, if you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking to God, but it maybe isn't so good for everybody else. Verse three, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So he's saying, if you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking to God. Nobody understands what you're saying, but if you're prophesying, then you're speaking to people to strengthen, encourage, and comfort them. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So here we have a word, edify. What does edify mean? It means to build up. That's why a building is called an edifice, is because it was built up, especially a big Amazing building is an edifice. And so it just means to build up. So if you speak in tongues, that means it builds you up. If you prophesy, that means it builds other people up. Now, we want both of these. I want you to be built up and I want you to help build other people up. So we want tongues and prophecy because biblically it says you speak in a tongue, it edifies yourself. You prophesy, edifies the church, other people. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. So again, he's saying, I want you all to speak in tongues, but in church, man, you should be prophesying because that's going to help people instead of hinder people. Very, very important stuff. Jump into verse six. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. So again, you can see here that there was some stuff that needed to be dealt with. And he's saying, look, you're just saying a bunch of stuff. Nobody knows what you're saying. This isn't so great. Then verse 10. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. 
If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. We don't want to make foreigners among believers. This is a big deal. We're to love one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't want to be foreigners because of speaking in tongues. Last verse in this section, verse 12. Let's read that. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. So build up, again, edify, build up the church. Try to do things that help other people, not just things that help you. So we don't want to be foreigners to one another. We want to be brothers and sisters. And unfortunately, sometimes when we talk about spiritual gifts, it causes division. It causes tension. It causes people to get in different camps. And then we can have this foreigner relationship instead of brother and sister. And that's a disaster. I've mentioned Pastor Ted from Grace Church. One of the great things we have in our pastor's prayer group is we come from different perspectives, but we love one another and we pray for each other and we're there for each other. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be part of. It's rare, but it's beautiful. I wish every community had a pastor's group where they could pray together and love each other, even when disagreeing on the topics of the day. But we agree that we are under Christ, we love Jesus, and we're supposed to love each other. So let's do that, and some of the other stuff we'll figure out later. So we don't want to be foreigners. Instead, let's look at Ephesians 2, 17 through 20. Instead of being foreigners, we want to come together. Ephesians 2, the setting of this is talking about the bringing together of the Jews and the Gentiles, the religious accepted people, and then the unchosen people. It's tough to be the unchosen, but in Christ, those two are brought together. He, that's Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So not foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens. We can't have division and people stepping apart and fighting over little details. What we need to do is have people coming together. Now we've got a history of fighting over details. I'm reading a textbook on the history of the Assemblies of God and the Pentecostal movement in the last 120 years or so, and man, could they fight. Oh my goodness. This one guy differed with another guy on their view of sanctification. Like, I think they agreed on pretty much everything else. One guy thought that sanctification happens in a moment at the altar, like, I'm sanctified. And somebody else thought it was a process of growth over time. And they fought so bad, like in church, the one guy said, if I'm right, let God strike him dead. If I'm wrong, let me die. And I mean, like, they're doing this sort of stuff. Like, that's pretty strong as far as a detail on sanctification. I mean, who, who knew that was even a conflict? Let's not be like that, right? That's not the right emotional content to the discussion. We want to be brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Let's read the next section. Keep rolling on this. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I also will sing with my mind. 
If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you're saying? That's pretty straightforward. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. So what we don't want to do is not just not edify the other person, but actually damage the other person. Some people have come into a fervent church atmosphere and they have themselves been damaged. And that we don't want. We don't want to hurt people. So if I'm speaking in tongues and having a grand old time, that can be good for me, but it might damage the person next to me. So I want to be careful and think about the other person, not just think about myself. The other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So did Paul speak in tongues? So he's not upset that people are speaking in tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than all y'all. And this is the Corinthian church. They were speaking in tongues so much he had to correct them. But Paul did this more with himself and God than in front of a whole bunch of people to have them watch. Verse 19. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. So stop thinking like children. What is Paul saying that they need to stop thinking like children for? Why does he say that? Well, it's a simple, simple thing. Basically, it's don't just think about yourself. Think about other people too. So little kids have trouble thinking about the needs of others. If there's three five-year-olds and one cookie, whose cookie is it? It's my cookie. That's mine. I saw it. So children have trouble thinking about the needs of others. We shouldn't be thinking about ourselves. We should think about the needs of other people. Love other people. That's what chapter 13 was all about. We need to love one another. So if you want to be edified, but you don't care who that hurts, we've got a problem. If you want good things from God, but whoever that damages doesn't bother you at all, that's an issue. That's an issue. That's a problem. The answer, however, isn't to throw out prophetic words, tongues and interpretation, the supernatural things of God. We don't want to throw that out. We want to mature and deal with these things the right ways. So let's quickly look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, and we see some important ways in dealing with this. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. So that's pretty straightforward, right? Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. So let prophetic words happen. Don't treat them with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. This I find to be a very important statement. Test everything. Hold on to the good. What's the implicit assumption in hold on to the good? There's going to be non-good, right? There's going to be good, and there's going to be the stuff you don't hold on to. It isn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's test everything, hold on to the good. Again, the assumption is there's going to be some iffy stuff in there if we are to test everything and hold on to the good. Now, in today's world, it's the same way. Some stuff is good. Some stuff you can just let it go. I heard a preacher say it this way. Eat the hay and spit out the sticks. If a cow can do that, you can do that. Eat the hay, spit out the sticks. It's just that simple. We want to be able to grow in this area, so we have to practice. That means that some people are going to step out. Maybe they do something wrong. We don't throw a big fit about it. We just test everything 
and hold on to the good. Let's jump back to 1 Corinthians 14. A couple more sections to read. Verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbeliever comes in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Isn't it nice that this is in the Bible? That if we're acting super wild and someone comes in, the natural response would be to go, wow, these people are insane. If everybody's speaking in tongues and it's just mayhem, then it's going to be a problem. Now, you got your prophetic prayer meeting, you know, that sort of thing. You can get pretty wild in that context. But Sunday morning church service where the, where the public is invited, you want to be a little more careful. Because you want people to invite their loved ones that don't believe, their friends that don't believe. And you don't want them to be damaged by a bunch of craziness. You don't want them coming in and going, dude, I, I, thanks for telling me about Jesus. But you people are nuts. You know, that's not what we're going for. It's funny because it's true. 24. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Look at the difference between verse 23 and verse 25. They're out of their mind. God is really among you. Now we need the Holy Spirit for God is really among you. But boy, if we handle it wrong, it can be they're out of their mind. And boy, that's, those are real close together. So what we want is when someone speaks a prophetic word for it to really hit someone in the heart. And then you know, wow, God's doing something here. You know, it's powerful and amazing, but if it's gone wrong or even mishandled, because Paul isn't telling them, you guys don't have the Holy Spirit, you're just nutcases. He's not saying that. He's saying you're perceived that way because of how you're handling it. And so you don't want to be perceived as being out of your mind. What you want to do is have some savvy and present things in a way that people will see that the hand of God is there. Then Paul gives his direction for the church. Starting in verse 26, next verse. What shall we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn. So when you come together, this is about church services. When you come together, everyone has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Now, I think the the way that you interpret that last sentence, all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. What I believe it means is, if you're going to do these things, strengthen the church. Don't just edify yourself. Think about other people when you're doing these things. Don't just think about yourself. I don't think it means that you better do all of these or else you've had a bad church service. I think what it means is if you're doing these things, make sure you're thinking about other people. Should be done for the strengthening of the church. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. So if you notice somebody during the worship time, just kind of speaking very, very softly in tongues and just worshiping God, that's this. It's not supposed to be an interpretation. Just speak between you and God. Spend some time just worshiping God. And that's, that's how that's supposed to work. Don't damage the other person. So if there's no interpreter, speakers should keep quiet. Now, sometimes there is an interpreter and the interpreter doesn't say anything. And so if the interpreter chickens out, but the tongues person doesn't, then they're sort of left hanging. I've had people write me a letter. Hey, I had an interpretation of that tongues, and here's what it is. I get in a letter three weeks later. Well, that made for an awkward moment in the church service, but, 
you know, thanks for being conscientious and sending the letter. You know, that's, that's good. But we don't want to draw a bunch of conclusions. You just think, well, that could have worked out better and you move on. It's not, let's figure out who that we should condemn if something like that happens. No, that's not it. Love one another. But let's get better. Let's do this in a way that's going to work better. Verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So again, test everything. Hold on to the good. Just because it's in English doesn't mean that it's good. I hope it's good, (laughs) but test everything and then, you know, weigh carefully what is said. So we want to test everything, hold on to the good. Verse 30, and if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. So if I'm speaking and somebody has something to say, then I can pause. I'll talk about how we do that protocol-wise. If somebody is going to speak, then I can yield, that sort of thing. That's okay. Uh, Again, I'll explain that a little bit better. Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And then Paul, as in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says, If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. We're already talking about tongues and interpretation and prophetic words. Now we're going to throw the women's can't speak in church thing in, in the same chapter? I mean, come on, my job is hard enough as it is. And now we got this in there. It's like, oh, you can't just breeze on by that. The Assemblies of God, which Good Hope Church is an Assembly of God church, has been ordaining women since the 1930s and has valued women in ministry since its inception. And so you say, okay, well, you're going to read the Bible and you're going to say, okay, tongues are for today, but that scripture's from the apostolic age and not for today. Like, okay, let's talk about that for just a second, because I do have a, a reason for agreeing with the assemblies of God in their interpretation of this. And it's basically this, when we're dealing with people speaking in a public church service, Don't let the wrong people speak. Have you ever been there where the wrong person was speaking? I believe that there is a general principle, which is don't let the wrong people speak. And in that culture, the women were not educated. They didn't know what was going on. I mean, they had to ask their husbands, what's going on here? They weren't taught to read. They didn't have the context to be able to participate in the right way. So in that day, that was a good rule. Don't let the women speak. Now, of course, you see the biblical precedent of people like Priscilla is teaching Apollos. You see Philip with his four daughters who prophesied. You see the prophecy from Joel that the Spirit will be poured out on men and women. You see lots of biblical precedent. So I'm not sure that even in this situation, it's a law type of rule. It's we're still led by the Spirit. You've got to have some sense with that. But the application of that principle, don't let the wrong people speak in church, is different today than it was back then. So basically, let me give Good Hope Church's stance on that. So at Good Hope Church, we want to provide a safe, free, and loving environment where the Spirit can move. That's what we're looking for. Safe, free, and loving environment where the Spirit can move. Safe means highly controlled. Free means no control. So we want safe and free. So how do we have both of those with the tension between safe and free? A safe and free loving environment, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Safe and free, that's chapter 14. And so how do we, how do we have that happen? So basically, if you're someone who has prophetic word giftings or tongues and interpretation type giftings, then you talk to me 
and I commission you to be able to do that in a church service. If I haven't commissioned somebody to do that, then I don't want them to do that. Like if it's somebody I don't know, we don't want somebody that we don't know coming in and sharing a, a prophetic word. We're not just going to turn the service over to somebody. You know, I value you guys. I don't want something strange happening. And there has to be some controls with that. So then I'll say something like, hey, you know, I good hope we've got a policy where only people that we know are able to share during the service. So let's get to know you. Let's, let's have lunch after church or something. I'll get to know you. I'm sure you're awesome. But please, if you just not do that right now, that'd be great. And we just go back into the church service. So that's how we try to have the right people speak. That's our application of don't have women speak. Uh, of course, I think that the most straightforward understanding of don't have women speak in the service is don't have women speak in the service. So I understand when people have a different view from me on that and a different view from the Assemblies of God on that, but I really think it's a principle that needs to be applied differently. Let's close out 1 Corinthians. We'll jump down to verse 39. Obviously, we can't cover everything in there. Verse 39 and 40 really are just, it's the bookend on the other side. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. He's clearly saying, look, prophecy works a lot better in a church service than tongues and interpretation, but you don't want to forbid people from speaking in tongues. That'd be a bad plan. So be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So we want things to be done in a fitting and orderly way. And again, I mean, I got introduced to God when I got saved through just the miraculous power of God. So I've always known that God interacts with us, that God cares about us, that we can have a personal relationship with the Lord. It's been part of my whole Christian walk. But... I've seen that change in my life, and I've stepped into new things. I've seen God change my heart, and I just want everyone to have a full experience of walking with God in this life. You know, let's, let's not leave things on the table. Now, all you have to do to be saved is to trust in Jesus and endeavor to follow Him. You don't need any spiritual gifts. You don't even have to be very good at following him, but you have to believe and endeavor to follow Christ. So having these things isn't about salvation. It's about having a close walk with God. A lot of times when I pray, I'll thank the Lord that he doesn't leave us down here to just wander around, do the best we can, but he guides us by his spirit and he guides us by his holy scriptures. And these things, being connected with God through the spirit is how we avoid just wandering around and doing the best we can. But I think a lot of people are in that situation. They're not walking close with God. They're not hearing from God. They're not led by the Spirit. They're just really doing the best they can. I appreciate you doing the best you can. But isn't it better to have the leading of the Spirit and to be connected with God in that more powerful way? So let's reread Ephesians 2.18. I just want to read that short verse. It's got the whole Trinity in it. For through him, that is through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So Christ has died on the cross, shed his blood that we could be forgiven and brought into the family of God. And so through Christ, the religious people and the people who have no idea about God, both of those groups have access to the Father by one spirit, by the Holy Spirit. 
So in this verse, our access to the Father is by the Spirit. So if we're going to walk with God day by day, we need to be led by the Spirit. We need to grab hold of these things in a deeper way. And wherever you are with all of this, I'm just going to ask you today to open your heart to God. For me, it was a seven-year process. Things don't have to happen super fast. But if our heart is open, those things will happen at the right time. So let's pray together. Let's open our hearts to God. So Heavenly Father, I just lift everyone up before you that's in here right now. There isn't anyone who couldn't benefit from a closer walk with you. We all want a deeper revelation of who you are and a stronger connection with your spirit so that we can hear from you loud and clear, that we can be led by your spirit. We all can take steps forward in that. So Lord, we open our hearts before you. Whatever emotional content we've had with these topics, with tongues and interpretation, with prophetic words, with any of that, whatever emotional content has been there, whatever walls have been up, We just take those down. We say, Lord, we just want to know the truth. We want to walk in your truth. We don't want to be deceived or be goofy or anything like that, but we don't want to leave your power on the table and miss it. So we open our hearts before you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to take today's step today, that we could receive something good from you. We could receive a deeper connection with you. We could receive an indwelling of your spirit, if that's what you have for us today that we could receive that heart cleansing, that heart transplant where we see the world in a different way. Lord, that we could receive something good from you and not be just doing the best we can, walking this life alone, but we're walking with you. We open ourselves to that, Lord. Help us to receive. And Father, I pray a blessing over each one that's in this place right now. I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, whatever storms we're going through, that that storm would be on the outside and not on the inside. That we would be full of faith, believing for things to get better. And Lord, I pray that that your joy would be in us, that we would have a firm trust in heaven, that we would believe that our future is secure in you, that you have guarded what we have entrusted to you, our souls. Lord, that we will have that one day we will see all of your glory. And Lord, I pray that as we endeavor to love others, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Lord, help us to know how much you love us so that we're not trying to do something that we don't have an experience of, but that we can just reflect your love. So Lord, help us to know how much you love us. Give us a revelation of that so that we can love others just like you do. Lord, bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.